Hi, this is Panash Desai, and you're listening to Awaken Nation with Brad Salas. A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up. Tired of the way things used to be, they are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zalas, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers, the disruptors, and the game changers. Everyday people, just like you and me, from all over, who are doing amazing things. Welcome to Awakened Nation. Panache, welcome to the show, my friend. What are you drinking? It looks like uh, hot chocolate. Some, uh, having some tea. Gee, it's, nice. it's afternoon tea time here. <laughs> Still British, I see. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> That's good. Uh, honored to have you on the show, man. I got to um, give a shout out to my good friend, Randall Kenneth Jones. I've had him on my show and he introduced us. And uh, also I have to give a big thank you to Leah Woodford at SmartFem because uh, I was the MC last week and um, you blew everyone's mind, my friend. You really did. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to be with everybody and just so great to connect with a group of people who are really up to transforming themselves in the world. And so it's a, a great time. Yeah, wonderful. I'm going to read your bio and we're going to dig right in because uh, I, I agree with you. You said something on an interview I heard recently, we are in a great awakening. So hold that thought as I read your bio. Panash Desai is a best-selling author, thought leader, and business and life catalyst. His loving and compassionate presence and unique power of insight have transformed countless individuals, organizations, and companies across the globe. Through his gift of energetic transformation, Panache empowers people to break free from suffering and limitation, guiding them into greater states of connection, collaboration, and love. This mastery delivers astonishing levels of personal and professional success allowing them to discover and live a life that is truly without limits. Panache has been interviewed by Oprah Winfrey on the wildly popular Super Soul Sunday show. He has collaborated alongside Deepak Chopra, steps in for the Reverend Michael Beckwith at the Agape International Spiritual Center, and worked with Neil Donald Walsh, Brian Weiss, MD, and James Redford. Panache's new book, You Are Enough, is a national bestseller, and there's a reason why. It is a mind-blowing book. Welcome to the show, Panash. Thanks, brother. It's great to be with you. Great to be with everyone tuning in from all over the world. Thank you. Uh, the first thing I want to say is, I agree with you. We, I believe, and right now we're recording probably at the end of that COVID-19 lockdown a little bit. This spring has begun. People are sitting on the edge of their seats. But I think this time has forced people to shut down everything and go inward. And we are in the middle of a great awakening. And I agree with you on that. You want to talk about that a little bit? I think that more and more we're beginning to realize what we actually need every day as human beings and what it takes to truly live. And when we break it down, it's become very simple. You know, in this time of lockdown, we've probably had a smoothie, a nice lunch every day, and some form of meal in the evening, depending on whether or not we're intermittent fasting on that day. We've had connection, whether it be through personal uh, connection in the same home as us with people that are quarantined with us, or connection through technology with like-minded individuals all over the world. And so we're at a point where we're realizing that we're more than units of production and consumption, that we're more than our jobs, we're more than our titles, and that we really do have the capacity to redefine what it means to be human. 
And that redefinition for me is most powerfully happening around the heart. I think that we're beginning to see through the illusion, beginning to go beyond the programming and the conditioning, beginning to go beyond all the control mechanisms that keep people in their limitation. We're beginning to break free of these false um, parameters that people have to live inside of, these boundaries that are not real anymore. And we're beginning to realize that we're really just all a part of this incredible journey together, just supporting each other every step of the way and loving each other home back to ourselves. And so this great awakening is a journey out of the mind, out of conformity, out of belonging into our authenticity, our individuality, or as I share in the book, our essential self. And when we make that shift, we reverse the polarity of our experience out of fear into love. And we begin to realize that we're a magnet. We can pull all that we need into our lives. We can relax. We can trust. We can surrender. We can get out of survival. And we can begin to innovate, create, and excel in every area of life and living. Wow. Let me tell you, uh, those of you who are listening, please pick up uh, Panache's book, You Are Enough. I read the introduction in the first chapter, and um, it, it just knocked me down. I, I was like, whoa, um, because we're all on a mission. We're, we've all kind of come here with a mission. And through conditioning and life and all these other things, um, we, we put away our gifts in order to try and fit in. And when you said that, I'm just like, you know, I sat there and I realized how much of my empathic abilities I shut down, how much of my life I've tried to fit in and prove myself. Can you share a little bit of your beginning? You know, you had this amazing foundation with your grandmother teaching you meditation and you too shut down for a little while. Yeah. So my, my grandmother raised me for the first five years of my life. Um, she was this very uh, adorable, sweet little Indian lady who would uh, just engage in um, mantra repetition, chanting, uh, meditation every day. And I literally was raised in a meditation room uh, and a meditation center. And so my family had met uh, self-actualized masters from India for four generations. And prior to my birth, my mother went to India to be blessed for my birth because she, before she had me, she had a stillborn baby girl. And so literally the stage was set for me even before I was born. And so in every moment with my grandmother, it was always this thick scent of incense filling the whole house and just devotion and love. And so when you think about it, you know, Bruce Lipton talks about this a lot. You know, the first seven years of our lives, we're almost in a state of hypnosis and we're absorbing, you know, everything that's around us. And so for me, the first five years of my life were absorbed in presence and meditation and what it means to be living in a life of connection. And of course, at some point, we move away from that feeling of safety and certainty. Uh, in my case, we physically moved. And all of a sudden, I ended up being by myself. Uh, my mom was working uh, in London. She was traveling back and forth to where we were living at that time, which is Milton Keynes. And um, I subsequently lost that feeling of safety and connection. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you begin to take on this persona and this identity because you believe that you're not enough. So what I've discovered on, on the most foundational level is that, that the restoration of safety is of primary importance as it relates to our evolution and development. In the absence of safety, no evolution or no development can happen. I mean, there's no way, no matter how much you meditate, there's no way that you can actualize your potential. There's no way. Right. So moving away from that kind of safety and, and, and high vibrational place of that meditation room, for me, was the thing that did it. And subsequently embarked on this journey of trying to fit in and trying to belong. 
And of course I didn't. I was just bizarre and weird. I was feeling things in people that didn't make any sense to me. I could experience things in them that you know, I, I couldn't understand. Uh, and transformation was happening around me even at a very tender age. Uh, you know, as early as seven years old, I have memories of people literally transforming around me. Uh, coming, sitting down, being burdened, encumbered by life, and then just simply being with me, they would start to become unencumbered and they'd start to become sparkly. And so life uh, for me was just weird. I was just completely weird. And uh, there was no on and off switch. I was just permanently stuck in this like transformative mode. You know, you're, you're not weird to me because I, 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 this sounds very similar because I was very empathic. Uh, I'm just like, I'm listening to this. I'm going, wow. So go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's beautiful. And then this, all of this was further compounded by the fact that being Indian on the weekends, we'd go see all these saints and sages and gurus because London had a big Indian population at the time. Right. And uh, everybody would go and they'd do their prayers and their meditation. And then they'd wait in line for two hours. Cause a lot of Indians. And you get bopped on your head with peacock feathers and get fed some ridiculously sweet, sweet, which was kind of my reason for being okay with the whole thing. And uh, they would say to me, thank you for incarnating. We've been waiting for you. And I just found that to be bizarre. I mean, it was, so it's my whole life. It's like people knew something about me that I had no clue about. Uh, transformation was happening around me that I couldn't explain. And uh, here I am experiencing the very thing that everyone's trying to get to naturally. And because nobody else was experiencing it, I began to shut it down. And subsequently, when we begin to pivot away from being enough to not being enough, uh, we start to suffer and we start to make choices and decisions that aren't reflective of our hearts. We start to live up to other people's expectations. We seek approval and acceptance from outside of us. And in my case, it was my grandfather. I loved him very much. Moved to London with three pounds in his pocket, built um, a wonderful business and uh, bought uh, a series of businesses. And, you know, I just wanted to make him happy. And uh, so instead of studying philosophy, I studied law and business studies and uh, I hated it. And I was in my final semester and that was further being compounded by the fact that I was in music at the time and music was just getting increasingly, increasingly more and more violent. And I just uh, sat down with my mom and said, mom, I have to go away and live like a monk for six months. I've got to get back to that feeling that I had in the meditation room. And so that decision to go back to that simplicity of that medita meditation room is the beginning of the restoration of the safety that I needed to feel and that I needed to have in order to finish my evolution, in order to remember all of those states of being, that full transformative power that lived inside of me, and to be able to express it fully and completely in every moment of my life. And so that's how it began. I can only imagine, because there's certain cultures where the, the mother is very close to the child. Uh, you know, I've seen it in this Latin culture, I've seen it in Indian culture, you see it around the world. That must have been heartbreaking for your mom when you said, hey, I got to go away, uh, I can't handle this anymore. Mum always knew that it was coming, actually. I was very fortunate in that regard. You know, my mother was very different than the majority of Indian mothers. You know, she, mm -hmm. she understood that I had a unique destiny. And uh, actually, when she went to India to be blessed with my birth, she was told, you know, don't expect him to be like everybody else. So, so my mother knew it was coming. She just didn't know it was coming at like 22 years old. Yeah. So she just was able to embrace it completely. And she said to me, well, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to India? Are you going to go to America? And I had a green card that I'd received in 1999. And so I had to figure out what I was going to do with it. And um, I said, no, mom, I'm going to go to America. Uh, because this particular uh, guru who 
had blessed me in the womb, had a room in this ashram and uh, his chair was there, the peacock feathers were there, his sandals were there. And so I wanted to go to where he spent a lot of time, somewhere where I could be uh, in that energy and in that space privately and just uh, get back to how I felt as a child and get back to that connection that I had. Wow. I uh, remember when you talked about it in the book, that six months where you just went deep, you were cut off from the whole world. And I don't understand, I don't think a lot of people understand here in the West, in America, what it's like to just not do something. You know what I mean? <laughs> just go and meditate every day, pray every day and, and prepare yourself, build your spiritual muscle, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it may not be for everybody, but uh, I liken it to when people take a, a couple of weeks off and they go up into the mountains and they don't want anybody around them. Uh, but that part, when you were talking about that, I could just visualize you sitting there just like reconnecting with self. You know, your higher self, the, the divine self. What was that like to get reconnected? It was very powerful. I, I just want to share with everybody that actually, uh, thanks to COVID-19, you've just gone through some version of that. Uh, probably, <laughs> That's true. Probably, probably isn't exactly the version that I went through, but some yeah. version of that you've definitely gone through. And um, for me, it was very... It was very challenging because, you know, all of a sudden you've gone from hanging out with your friends and hanging out with people and maintaining a certain self-image and identity to being in silence and being of selfless service. And, uh, and I loved it. You know, I, I, I love the, the fact that I could be in that silence. I love the challenge of it because I realized that what was coming up inside of me was everything that I'd falsely identified with or everything that I had made more important than the truth of who I was. And uh, also I discovered that I was a completely lousy yogi, that I would have failed guru school if there really was a guru school because uh, when I, we, would, we would wake up at like three in the morning and uh, go to morning prayers. And I would just like pretend I was in Shavasana and sleep the whole way through the, the morning prayer because I, just, I was just that confronted and, and that challenged. But again, like I've always been the person that runs towards challenge. Right. And so for me, you know, I thrived in that environment. And, and again, being in the presence of that energy and being in the presence of, of that grace, you know, was wonderful because it allowed me to drop my defenses. It allowed me to get in touch with the emotion that was there. It allowed me to really get in touch with the core of who I was. You know, something very wonderfully cathartic about silence. You know, what, what, something very wonderfully cathartic about selfless service, about simply chopping vegetables or making huge vats of dal and rice for people for lunch or, you know, cleaning the toilets or whatever it was. I mean, it just, it's just like whatever it was, I realized that that selfless service was cleaning me. You know, that whatever activity I was engaged in, I was scrubbing myself. You know, I was, I was scrubbing away all these layers of false identification and uh, this time in the ashram was important for me because I also realized that the ashram isn't somewhere where you stay. You know, it's a, it's a place that you visit, you, you go and have a retreat, you, you get the reset, you get the recalibration, but you don't stay there because what happens is, uh, as with all things, adaptation begins to occur. And where the transformation, where the potential of transformation is available to you, all of a sudden you get used to it. You know, you're going through the motions, you're going through the rhythm. And so I stayed the exact appropriate amount of time and uh, received the full transformative benefit of it and, and then went home. And subsequently went home and wasn't the same person. I had nothing in common with being in London anymore. 
I had nothing in common with my friends anymore where I once was a part of the music scene in London. I had no desire to go out. Um, everything just felt so foreign to me because I had reverted back to who I was as that five-year-old so powerfully, you know, that connection, that spirituality. And so, again, I tried to fit in. <laughs> and I had another conversation with my mom and said, Mom, I'm, I'm going to move to the U.S. And so I took uh, whatever little savings I had and moved to New York and I knew one person. And that's how this whole thing began. It began with the decision to leave the safe comfort of home and pursue my destiny. With a backpack and a suitcase, right? Pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You mentioned something, grace. You talked about grace. And I think a lot of people believe that God uh, gifts us with grace, like it's, you got to wait till it gets bestowed upon you. But I've come to practice and believe that grace is also a state of consciousness, that you can tap into it um, with meditation and things like that. Uh, do you find that to be true? 100%. I think that all of these things that we're trying to attain are already present inside of us as potentials. And it's just a question of where our focus and our attention is. And the degree to which we've been able to unburden ourselves of all of these emotions that we've been taught to repress or suppress. So the more we're able to break free of these densities, these heavy repressed or suppressed emotions, the more we naturally liberate the soul's potential. And um, that's why I've always said to people, you're already enlightened. You know, you don't need healing. You don't need fixing. You're not broken. This is just a journey of uncovering what's already present inside of you. And grace is wonderful because grace becomes available to us when we, when we start to relax into the vulnerability that is the truth of who we are. You know, vulnerability is the antidote to egoic existence. And so when we finally start telling the truth about what we're feeling and start telling the truth about what we're experiencing, and we're able to align with our experience powerfully, we access this phenomenon of grace. But again, it's an internal phenomenon. And what I've realized is that everything is an internal phenomenon, that we are self-enclosed units of experience. God is inside of us. Love is inside of us. Light is inside of us. The perceived darkness is inside of us. Anger is inside of us. Sadness is inside. All of these things are inside of us. And so really, when we, when we speak in terms of transformation or the journey of awakening, what we're doing is just returning everything to love, you know, returning our anger to love, returning our fear to love, returning our sadness to love, returning ourselves to love, and revealing the love that was always present within. Wow. You talked about this in the book a little bit, and, you know, I've studied uh, a lot of Eastern works from India, uh, the Gospel of uh, Sri Ramakrishna and some of the Bhagavad Gita myself, and when you talked about Samadhi, you really, uh, I thought I knew what it meant, <laughs> but clearly I didn't when you described it in the, in the book. Could you explain samadhi to our listeners? Samadhi, as I've experienced it, is a constant state of absorption in peace. So it's a state within which there is such a radical inclusion of all life that there's no longer any fluctuations at the level of the mind or any fluctuations at the level of emotion. You become so firmly established in the peace that you are that that peace absorbs everything into itself. And um, you know when you're there because you're more peaceful than not. And so this samadhi, this union, is really returning to who we naturally are. Our natural state of being is peace. And so the more we realize that who we are is pure awareness, pure being, and pure potential, and the more we realize that the mind is just an activity inside of that field of awareness, that the emotions are just activities inside of that field of awareness, that the body 
is just an activity inside of that field of awareness, but that who we really are is awareness, we can then begin to unwind all of these points of identification that we have. And the more we begin to accept and embrace everything that's arising and subsiding, the more we naturally uncover the samadhi that lives inside of us. To the point where there's no longer any resistance to any thought, any belief, any emotion, or any external circumstance or phenomenon. I just felt that was incredibly powerful and Mm -hmm. uh, had to bring that up. Now, you said something else that, you know, I have to agree with. We in the West have taken a lot of these Eastern philosophies and and prayer and things like this and meditation and uh, Westernized them, you know, (laughs) as they say. Um, So now we have a goal, (laughs) you know, we're going to meditate for 20 minutes that we're going to hit this and we're going to use it to manifest what we want. And being on lockdown these last couple of weeks, it's sort of like, hey, hold on, cowboy, relax. This isn't what it's meant to be. It's a state of beingness. Um, Can you help our listeners um, talk about trauma? You know, what if you're somebody who just got diagnosed with stage 2C cancer? How do you find that inner peace in the middle of that disruption? So everything in life is an entry point back into our natural state of being. So whenever anybody comes to me, whether they're going through a divorce or they're going through something in their business or they're going through some kind of health challenge or issue, that's always the entry point into peace. And peace, again, is our natural state of being. So uh, cancer, uh, in my experience and how I've seen it manifest in people, is an entry point into receiving. More often than not, that person who receives that diagnosis or label has lived their entire lives for everyone else and has forgotten about themselves. And so all of a sudden they receive this label or diagnosis of cancer as an entry point into self-care, self-love and self-nurturing to where finally they have to open up to being supported by other people. So everything in life is a messenger. Everything in life is an experience that wants us to return us to harmony. And this is where we have to get to this point where we start resisting our experiences. We start resisting life. The reason why Eastern practices and philosophies have become watered down is because they've been interpreted through the lens of the mind. You see, in India, the highest form of teaching happenings at the vibrational level. You would simply go and sit with somebody who was self-actualized, and you would naturally, in their presence, begin to go through a radical and powerful transformation. What's happened is we've begun to, we've begun to quantify it here. We've got a need to understand it here. We've got this need to figure it out. And basically all that means is we're trying to make it safe in order for us to receive it. And so the mind has been given a dominance or a sense of importance in the Western framework that it doesn't deserve to have. Even Descartes, when he said, you know, I think, therefore I am, put the mind before being. It's actually I am, therefore I think. Without being, there is nothing else. Everything emanates from being. Everything emanates from connection. Everything emanates from the self, from the real self, the true self, the divine self. And so what we have to do is shift our entire transformational framework on its head and move away from the head into the heart. Because I I, I firmly believe that post-COVID, anything that's based in the mind, PDF presentations, information, stats, data, scientific um, metrics and uh, the ability to quantify on a scientific level, all of these things are going to start losing their appeal because we're now living in the decade of the soul. We're living in the decade of the essential self. We're living in a decade of time where harmony and balance has to be restored. 
And that harmony and balance cannot be restored at the level of the mind. The best that we can do at the level of the mind is adapt. But adaptation isn't transformation. So going and learning a strategy, going and learning a technique or a modality can become transformative if we can let go of the need to know and if we can let go of the modality and the technique itself. But very few people can do that. So we're at a point now where we have to leave behind all of the entry points. We have to take off the training wheels of the bicycle and just do the wheelie that we were born to do. You know, just, 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 <laughs> just ride that bike on that back tire and trust that we know how to do it and that we'll be okay. You are so needed, my brother. Oh, you are so needed in this world because this is the decade of soul. Uh, I'm listening to you and I'm just going, he nailed it. <laughs> you know, it's like, boom. Um, speaking of the mind, you know, the ancient Egyptians, when they buried uh, a pharaoh, they removed all the organs and put them in a jar, except for the brain. They threw it away. <laughs> it's, uh, the heart was given a very special jar. And it's because they believed everything came from the heart. Thought came from the heart. Everything came from the heart. And uh, I've learned for myself, and this is really hard to do, especially if you, you're entrenched in Western uh, culture and mindset, and that is to run uh, a beam of light from your heart to your head so that those things stay in balance and, and come from the heart more, drop into the heart more. Um, do you have any recommendations for that? Because, man, it is, it's tough. Uh, especially for an American to just live from the heart all the time. So, so the heart is the most intelligent organ in the body. So science is now beginning to prove that the heart receives first and then the mind tries to interpret and understand what the heart has received. And also in spirituality, the heart is the hub of all sacred places. So the Egyptians were 100% right in giving the heart a place of prominence and throwing the mind in the garbage, <laughs> the brain. And, uh, and, and the reason why that's important is because the heart creates a field of coherence around you that can be measured. So for me, one of the most powerful ways to live in heart coherence or in harmony is to rest in the awareness of the breath. You know, I discovered a long time ago that if we're only peaceful for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening, then that's useless. If for the rest of the 23 hours and 20 minutes, we're pissed off, upset and agitated, stressed yeah. out. So, for me, resting in the awareness of my breath or living breath awareness is the way in which we transform our life into a living meditation. Why? Because the breath is a naturally occurring mantra. And the word for breath and the word for spirit in most mystical or esoteric traditions is the same word. So maybe observing our breath is observing God. Resting in the awareness of our breath is resting in the awareness of God. And the more we can simply rest in the awareness of our breath, the more we relax into that heart-brain coherence without having to try. You see, because again, we're returning to who we naturally are. You know, I, um, I just actually received a care package from Dave Asprey and he asked me a question. He said, so Panache, are you special? And I said, no, I'm not special. I'm just natural. You know, we're returning to everything that's natural inside of us, right? And this, okay. this heart-brain coherence is natural. When we're naturally being who we are, when we're authentic, it's, it's there. And so as much as possible, rest in the awareness of your breath. You know, be aware of each inhalation and exhalation. And in doing so, you'll begin to discover that you live more from your heart, more from love, sourcing your choices and decisions from peace and from love rather than fear, lack, and scarcity and survival. I hope everybody's taking notes. We're laying some truth down here with Panache Desai. 
How do people get a hold of you? Because I know you do some uh, meditations and things like that. How do we get a hold of you, Panache? So the best way to get a hold of me is to go to the website, panachedesai.com, which is P-A-N-A-C-H-E-D-E-S-A-I.com. And um, I have, since March the 16th, uh, been doing a daily call to calm meditation. Uh, it's been attended by over 6,500 people now from over 95 plus countries from all over the world. And literally, we have been holding a space of peace, of calm, this return to our natural state on behalf of every human being. And so come to the website and figure out how you can participate and join this movement. Fantastic. Thank you. This is incredibly powerful. And yeah, we have been forced to, you know, kind of go within now. And some people are losing their temper and it's fear a lot of times. Um, for me, I've been doing some of this breath work you've been talking about. Only in the last couple of months, I've been catching myself being stuck because we, we get stuck emotionally in different organs in our body and different areas of our body. And I've been playing, paying close attention to that. It's ironic that you bring this up. But um, I heard you talk about this with uh, Randall Kenneth Jones of the, of the Jones.show. I grew up using humor as a defense mechanism to survive, to fit in, to protect myself from bullying and from my father all the way to the schoolyard. And you gave some really great advice. I was wondering if you could repeat some of that. So I, I felt like, first of all, um, we adapt in the presence of certain scenarios and we develop certain personality traits that may or may not be authentic. Uh, and and when, we're, when we're coming from a place of self-defense, Typically, it's not authentic. It's just a, it's an adaptation mechanism. Right. So, so how we evolve beyond these scenarios is to embrace uh, the fact that we are our father, that we are uh, whoever it is that we deem to be the transgressor in this scenario. And the reason why I'm saying this to you is because we live in a hall of mirrors. And the more I'm experiencing reality and the more I'm beginning to get to the truth of what this whole thing is about, it's like a giant hall of mirrors. And everyone in every moment is reflecting back to me who I am. So I'm either seeing the aspects of myself that I've loved and I've embraced, which means my light is being reflected back to me, or I'm seeing my shadow reflected back to me. And my shadow is everything that I have deemed to be unlovable, not good enough and unworthy about myself, or aspects or traits or characteristics that society has conditioned, to be, conditioned me to believe are deficient in some way. And so the more I look in the mirror, and the more I embrace what there is to see, the less I have to adapt in the presence of a behavior or a way of being. And typically in that example, what happens is if you've been bullied by a father and then there's bullying that happens in school, typically what will happen is you'll become a bully. You'll become the very thing that you can't stand. The only problem is that all of a sudden, because you have a resistance to being that, you'll feel guilty and ashamed and you'll just further compound that way of being and uh, it becomes a vicious cycle or a trap that you can't break free of. And so to be with is to love. And what we're not, we're not you know, of course, going to give dad, you know, a father of the year award. You know, we're not, we're not condoning what happened. All we're right. saying is, hey, listen, we're ready to stop suffering. You know, I, I want to be funny when I feel like being funny. I don't want to be funny because I feel threatened or because I need to defend myself from, from an impending attack, Right. And so this is how we begin to unwind habitual patterns and behaviors by bringing them into the light of conscious awareness. 
by realizing that we in any moment have the capacity to transform by surrendering, by trusting, by allowing. And that ultimately we're here as a part of our journey to gather up, to love and to nurture all of these parts of ourselves that were denied that love and that nurturing. You know, we literally have the capacity now to embrace all of these aspects of ourselves so that we can revert back to who we naturally are. Because joy and humor, of course, is natural to us. And all of a sudden, it becomes authentic. And then people resonate with it in a more powerful way than when it's being expressed as a form of a self-defense mechanism. Wow. Yeah, because you mentioned that, like sarcasm and things like that. That's a response. You know, it's a protection yeah. response. Yeah. It's very powerful. Um, how do you recommend that people get started with meditation? Because you grew up with this. And so it comes natural to you. When, when I started like 30 years ago, I mean, my head would bob around. And I was trying to figure it all out and attended some classes, learned. Uh, I belonged to a spiritual group for about 25 years and, and got my groove. But could you, could you help the people who are listening? How do you get started to really go within, to really begin to meditate, to sit within uh, and with yourself? So I think the main thing is to discover that these meditative states of being are available to us in every moment. And that the more we can live in the acceptance of what's happening, the more we can access them inside of ourselves. Um, this is why living breath awareness has been so powerful and helped so many people because, you know, if we're just, again, able to connect with those internal states in prescribed environments like a cell phone plan, like nights and weekends, then it's yeah. not very good, you know? So again, meditation and everything is evolving you know, we've had a very third dimensional relationship with spirituality, right? right? So, so we've had this notion of healing and, you know, getting somewhere and fixing things and solving things. And what we're, what we're doing is moving into more of a oneness-based approach to spiritual practice. And so a oneness-based approach is operating under the assumption that everything already is present. So that then means that the very second I begin to rest in the awareness of my breath and relax my body, I can begin to relax into meditative states of being and integrate them into my daily experience. So I believe that we're living in an age of dynamic meditation, that we can literally access these dynamically meditative states while performing our daily actions and doing them from a, from a place of centeredness and connection. And so this is how we, we do that, is by taking our meditation practice out of a dark room while burning incense into being in the world, being in the moment, and truly uh, living and embodying presence in that moment, or minimally just accepting the moment fully, accepting every experience fully, because that, again, returns us to that state of peace and that harmony. So what all of my kind of neuroscience buddies are calling coherence is what we would call peace. So basically, when you're being peaceful, uh, you're experiencing coherence. And uh, now there's all kinds of scientific data that you know, validates the, the, the benefits of peace. But... But I would just say to people, please just accept who you are the way you are. Please don't fight against your design. Accept and embrace who you are. Rest in the awareness of your breath and transform your life into a living meditation. Yeah, you said we're not broken. There's nothing broken. You, you know, you just you have to face yourself and, and some of the traumas you've been through and just accept them. I love the fact that you just, you, you accept it. You send love to it. You bring it in. You begin to love yourself uh, in that way. Um, I think too many times, for the longest time, people did what's called spiritual bypassing, oh, yeah. where they would just sit and they go, "You know how spiritual I am? Let me show you." You know, um, 
let's talk about that a little bit because yeah. um, I know that very well. Yeah, so they bypass, so they go from I hate myself to I love myself to I hate myself to I love myself to I hate myself to I love myself. <laughs> and, and because there's a fundamental lack of integration that's happening and a welcoming of who we are at the level of our humanity, they're not able to sustain these states of experience. And then it becomes another source of suffering for them. You know, the, the, the spiritual practice becomes yet one more thing that they use to invalidate themselves. And, uh, and what I want for people is to recognize that our humanity is the doorway into our divinity. That the more we can be with our humanity, the more the spirit, the more the soul just emerges from inside of us. So that means that we have to fundamentally fly in the face of everything that we've been told and realize that it's only because we're unique in who we are, trying to conform and trying to belong, that we're struggling. The very second we revert back to our uniqueness and, we're well, and we begin to work with our design and embrace every facet of who we are as a human being is the very moment that that peace and that samadhi emerges, you know, that union. And so I've always been a fan of integration. I've never been this kind of reductionist where it's about getting rid of things. You know, I don't believe that we have to get rid of things. I really believe that it's about loving everything. It's about being inclusive of everything. You know, for example, even when people meditate, they're trying to stop thinking. They're trying to get rid of their thoughts. They're trying to get rid of their beliefs. And it doesn't work. You know, they're trying to get rid of their feelings or their physical discomfort. It doesn't work. We're here to cultivate a loving, inclusive relationship with life. And then life can reciprocate. And so this is the power of knowing who you are, of loving who you are, and then beyond that, being able to express that love in the world at large. And so recognize that no part of you is a mistake, that no part of you is broken, and that you don't need to apologize for any aspect of yourself. That every aspect of who you are is an aspect that was perfectly created by the same infinite intelligence that is animating all of life simultaneously right now, as well as expanding our reality out into infinity and beyond. And so when you think of yourself in the context of creation, why then would you imagine for one moment that God was having a bad day when you were made or that you were made in a hurry or made from spare parts or that in some way, shape or form, you have to overcome something inside of you. So again, remember that your uniqueness is your superpower, that who you uniquely are is your strength and that you're here to express divinity uniquely. And that is the purpose of your life. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you remind me that uh, we are a spark of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also helped me do something, and I, I have to thank you. Uh, you reminded me that God loves me. I had forgotten about that for a little while. Bro, God is you. Yeah. Let's, just, let's just go directly to it. You know, I, um, I recently did an address at the Shivananda Ashram in the Bahamas, and we did a live cast. And uh, I said, listen, I said, the infinite ocean is experiencing itself as the drop. But don't for one moment think that the drop isn't the ocean itself. Yeah. So this yeah. is something else that we have to overcome, particularly in the Western world. You know, the majority of people in the Western world have been conditioned to believe in a God that has anger management issues. You know, a God <laughs> yeah. that's going to smite you or smoke you or, you know, cast you down into the depths of despair and raging <laughs> furnaces of inferno. You know, and, and of course, that just simply isn't true. You know, when I, when I experienced the divine, I experienced an infinite ocean of love. An infinite ocean of love. Wow. This is what the divine is. This is who we are. This is what this is about. 
And what I've discovered is that that loving awareness and that loving presence is the truth. That everything else is the illusion. Everything else is the illusion. That only love is real. And that God, if it can be defined as anything at all, is this loving presence. But it's beyond the word love that we use in the human context. It's the purest form of love you could ever experience in your life. Wow. Take that in. We come from the ocean of love and mercy. Yeah. We come from the ocean of love and mercy, and each of us is, a, is like a drop of water from that ocean. And so we are divine, is what you're saying. Am I right? Absolutely. You're, you're, not, you're not engaging in your spiritual practice to become God. You're engaging in your spiritual practice to remember that you already are. Right. So who you are is God experiencing uniquely. Yeah. Because I've always believed that God cannot come down to this world. It's too coarse. It's too, you know, its viscosity is there. If God came here, everything would burn up. So he sends, or it sends its messengers, which are us. We're soul into this lower world to experience it for it. So when we go back home, they're like, wow, you, you gave me a great experience. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I love this. I love this stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, Panache Desai, please go to his website, www.panachedesai.com, and participate in these meditations that he's doing. This is incredibly powerful uh, work that you're doing, uh, and I love it. Um, What do you say to someone who doesn't believe in God? Don't believe in God. It's perfect. You, you, you believe in whatever you believe in. So, so here's the thing. If, if God is infinite, then everybody's right for them. Right. I think the biggest issue that we have down here is that everyone's trying to convince everybody else that their version of God is the right version of God. Yeah. <laughs> but what happens is, if God is an infinite ocean of love, then God takes whatever form God has to take for you. Why? So when you die and you start heading down the tunnel, you don't run the other way. So, so if you're a Christian, Jesus will come and get you. Right? Right. If you're a Hindu, Krishna or Shiva will come. Somebody will come and get you. Right? Hindus have got it covered. There's about 300 million different versions that can come and get you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know? So depending on your faith and depending on your belief, God takes that form for you. But this is how compassionate this is. Think about that. Infinity takes whatever form it needs to take for you in order for you to remember that you are infinite. Wow. I liken God to pure light. And mm-hmm. when it comes down into earth plane, uh, the physical plane, it divides up into this prism of colors. And each individual, country, state, wherever, uh, will gravitate towards the color that resonates with them, such as the people who love red light. You know, They're going to bathe in that, and that's God. And then the people who are in green or purple, they love God too. But then, unfortunately, they begin to, the purple people and the red people start the fight, you know, over which God is correct. But we're all in so many different states of consciousness. Um, if you were bestowed, especially on some young souls, the truth, the pure loving truth at the highest levels, they would explode, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, because... Because you see, the truth has been held from us. 
you know we're, we're living in these false boundaries of race nationality religion gender you know these are all false boundaries these are all points of separation and the worst thing is that then we're conditioned to be afraid of people that are different but see being different is great being unique is your superpower right being unique is your gift and so again believe what you believe but understand that your essential nature is peace it doesn't matter what you believe just feel peaceful wow. that's powerful i hope everybody's taking notes because i'm having my mind blown right now <laughs> thank you panache um i want to ask this question because you you talked about people with cancer but uh, financial up and down, heartache and all that, that, that also has a, a deep-rooted um, emotion behind it or trauma. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I have the pleasure of mentoring seven people personally. Most of these individuals are in multinational corporations or have global footprints in one form or another, either through philanthropy or through business. And uh, I work with them in a very unique way because, you see, for me, if you're a founder of a company or an entrepreneur or a CEO, that company is a manifestation of your own state of consciousness. So when they call me, there's something going on in their business, but whatever's going on in the business is just a manifestation of what's unresolved inside of them. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because everything is a manifestation of who you are. So if for some reason you are not experiencing abundance and you're denying yourself money and the ease of flow of money, then at that point, maybe it's because you're afraid to have that money and to be seen and to stand in your full power. And so when I'm working with individuals or organizations or companies, it's all the same work. It's, you know, where is the inherent limitation in the individual? Once we identify what the inherent limitation is in the individual, on a business level, it seemingly just takes care of itself. And on a life and living level, it just takes care of itself. So what's happening is, because we've had these experiences that have helped, that have made us question our safety, we won't be seen. We won't allow ourselves to be seen. We won't be the authentic self that we're here to be. We won't be that essential self. And all that's required to have the fullness of life and living in every area of life and living is to finally be that fullness of who you are. And so if there's any struggle anywhere in life, it's because you are not fully being who you are because you're afraid, because you're afraid, because you've been in some way conditioned out of your magnificence. You know, for example, um, you've been told that it's not okay to have money, you know, or that if you have money, then everyone will want something from you, right? And so naturally, uh, little by little, that abundance is eroded away until all of a sudden there's an experience of debt or there's an experience of lack, right? And then we think that that's normal because that's what the majority of the world is living inside of, but it isn't normal. It's, it's actually completely inauthentic. So everything is a byproduct of our authenticity. Suffering is completely inauthentic. And once we return to the truth, and once we reveal whatever we have to reveal inside of us, harmony and balance is restored in every area of life and living. And then you begin to pull into your life everything that you need. You no longer need to prove yourself. You no longer need to get stressed out, overwhelmed, and upset in order to have something. Yeah. You just relax, you show up, and then life comes to you. And everything that you need comes to you. And it's a very different way of living. It is. Because I've spent probably 40 years of my life trying to prove myself, and I yeah. finally let it go. I, I lived in New York City for 35 years, and I finally moved out here to Las Vegas two years ago, and I just said, you know what? 
I'm not here to prove anything. I'm here to heal my body because I destroyed myself through stress. And I want to do something better, something different, something greater. And that's part of what Awakened Nation is about. But you, you really, uh, I hope everybody who's listening is really getting some food for thought because these are very powerful, powerful things uh, that you're talking about, Panache. Uh, let's talk about anger. How do people handle anger um, in this day and age? So there's nothing wrong with your anger. You know, you, you've been fundamentally conditioned to believe in some way, shape, or form that it's wrong or bad. And so you repress it, and you repress it, you repress it, you repress it, you control it, and then you explode. And then it typically you explode in a way that um, isn't that graceful. And then, and then you beat yourself up for exploding. Yeah. So, so everything is just an energy in motion. Emotions are just energies in motion. Everything wants to flow. You see, it's only ever the mental association that we've created around our anger that creates the problem. If we could just relax into the feeling of anger and realize that it's just an experience and a series of bodily sensations like every other emotion, we would no longer have a problem with it. And so the first thing to do is to accept the fact that you have it, to accept the fact that the rage resists, exists within you. That acceptance is the entry point to the experience that you then need to have to be freed of the control and all of the ways in which you adapt. So in terms of vibrational transformation and human evolution, the foundational thing that has to be restored is safety. Right. Empowerment, as I've discovered it, is a cocktail of passion and sexual energy or creative energy. And what happens is the more we're able to accept and embrace that rage and that anger, the more it transforms into passion, which is a conscious manifestation of that energy. So control has literally been imposed over the majority of people on this planet by shaming and guilting them at the level of their sexuality and also by making them feel like they're bad or wrong for experiencing their anger. Because a, a docile um, planet is a more controllable, malleable planet, right? Yeah. Somebody, who, somebody who's afraid of being angry, somebody who's not connected to their passion is much easier to move around, right? And so this is where we have to realize that there's nothing wrong with your anger. And also, it's not about acting it out on anybody. You, 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 no one's making you angry. This anger that you're experiencing is inside of you. So when somebody activates it inside of you, become aware of your breath, relax your body, and don't talk. It is not about them. If you make it about them and you lash out and you do what you normally do, you've missed the window of completion. Realize that everything is just visiting. Everything is just a guest. Your problem is that you've taken your anger hostage, locked it away in a room in the house, and you won't let it out. And then when it does come out, you're like, oh my God, get back in the room. You know? <laughs> what are you doing here? You know? It's so, my evil twin. You know? Yeah. So this is where we have to end our resistance to every experience, every emotion, and every sensation and realize that it's just energy. And when we start to think in terms of, of energy, vibration, frequency, it becomes so much easier to experience it. Now, every now and again, will you lose it? Yeah, you probably will. But please don't beat yourself up. Don't right. beat yourself up. You know, there's, no, there's no need to judge yourself for experiencing something that is normal. It's, it's, not, it's not something that you have to be afraid of. It's just something that needs to be embraced and welcomed. And the more it is, and the more it's held and the more it's nurtured, the more it's revealed to be the sadness that it really is. Because angry people, people that are experiencing heightened levels of pissosity, are just very sad people. They're just more empowered sad people. You know? right. so, so that's all it is. You know? <laughs> so you, what you'll discover is that underneath your anger is a lot of sadness. And then once you get to the sadness, that's when you know that you're, you're beginning to transform your relationship with that anger. That's fantastic. 
I have a new word to use now. Pissosity. Yeah. That I said. Pissosity. Pissosity. Yeah. Your inner pissosity. I like that. That is excellent. Uh, tell us about love. Oh, my God. How long do you have? So the short version for everybody is that you are love. The reason why you're turning yourself inside out for love from other people is because you don't feel like you're enough. And, and this is also the source of every addiction and everything else that we're doing because we've been fundamentally led to believe in some way, shape or form that we're not enough. So then we deny ourselves the love that we are. Now, here's how cool this is. If you were to finally get the love that you are, you would no longer need to be in relationship. At that point, relationship would become a choice. And love in its most powerful form is to be with because it's an expression of the soul. Being with you right now, I'm loving you. Being with my emotions, I'm loving them. Being with my mind, I'm loving my mind. So to be with is to love. And everything, again, all of these things are just extensions and manifestations of who you naturally are. And so love, this thing that's become a big deal that everyone's trying to get, is inside of them. And here's the other thing. No matter how your relationship ended, and no matter how great that person was, let them go. Because you were projecting your love onto them. And you were projecting your love onto them because you felt unworthy in who you were, or you had a lack of deserving or unlovability that was conditioned into you. So then you made it about them. So then here, here's what we do. We project our love onto other people in order for us to receive it. Stop projecting your love onto other people in order for you to receive it. Just realize that you're the source of it. You're the source of everything. Every single feeling. All right. I have nothing to say. <laughs> I'm just sitting here going, what? mind blown like that. Because uh, my last relationship, I think uh, the intention wasn't proper. And uh, yeah, you just described what, what happened. I was projecting yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, then, and then the person, of course, you're looking for love from people that don't love themselves. How can they love you? They don't love themselves. They don't even know who they are. Right. So, so, so you're in a vicious cycle of looking for love from outside of you, from somebody who doesn't even have the capacity to give it to you in the first place. Yeah. Go, to, go within. Go to the love that's inside of you. And then, you. and then here's the thing. Then you don't need to be in relationship. Then relationship becomes a choice. And even if that person leaves, you won't be devastated because you'll remember that you were the source of the love that you were feeling in the first place because love is who you are. Wow. It's rare that a guest leaves me speechless and I'm just sitting here going, what do I say to that? <laughs> Thank you, Pinash. Thank you so much. Um, I like to do a lightning round where I ask my guests uh, things that they don't usually get asked on the show. Yeah, so are sure. you ready? Yeah, ready. All righty. Here we go. What is something about you that we don't know about you? I love Harry Potter. You're kidding. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> That is funny. I love, I love Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. I, I, my favorite thing to do, because I used to travel a lot before uh, self-quarantine and self-isolation, was I would download uh, the Harry Potter movies on my phone and I would watch them. And uh, there's just something about Harry and yeah. my story of growing up, you know, where he just didn't fit in and didn't belong and people could see this greater destiny in him. There's an amazing correlation that I, I feel with him. And, uh, and wow. I particularly love how it ends because I mean, sorry for the spoiler alert, but I mean, if you haven't seen it by now, you've been living on Mars. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, he, he has to finally face his shadow in the form of Voldemort. And uh, in facing his shadow, he dies unto himself and is reborn as the authentic Harry. Yeah. And uh, that to me is, the, is, the, is, is it, man. It is. everything. Face your shadow and then die unto yourself. This is a very powerful thing that you said because I got into Harry Potter because of my nephew, Sebastian. I helped raise mm-hmm. him. And I remember taking him to the first Harry Potter movie and I just sat there like a kid myself. And uh, years later, you're going to love this. Um, Snape, uh, was that played by yeah. Alan, Alan Rickman? Yeah. I'm sitting at a diner in New York City, and I have my head down. I'm eating my breakfast, cup of coffee, you know, eggs, a plate of eggs. And I hear this, could I please have the salt or whatever? And you just hear this, it's him. And he was sitting right there. I go, oh, my God, it's Snape. And uh-huh. he's sitting right at the end of the counter. Um, it just what was amazing about the whole Harry Potter series is – it broke all the rules of, of book publishing because we're getting back to this heart-centered stuff. She wrote it from her heart, and uh, it broke all the rules, and it became this international bestseller. But if you watch all the movies, uh, a shout-out to British actors. They brought the thunder to every role. I mean, it was just it, – all of the movies are just incredible, along with the books as well, but I'm just telling you – that vision that came along is just uh, very powerful. So, you know, I, I, even, I even loved the creation of that book because she was homeless. She was, mm-hmm. you know, destitute. And, and, and I, I firmly believe that she tapped into like another dimension or, or another right. state of consciousness. She did. And brought that book through her, you know, and, and it just goes to show that. And I've never met J.K. Rowling, but you know what? I would love to meet J.K. Rowling. I really would. Like she's right. somebody that I would love to love to connect with. Well, yeah. you put it out there, so it'll probably happen. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Have you watched Extraordinary Beasts and Where to Find Them? I have. Yeah. I like I, that one too. Yeah, I, I love it all. You know, I just yeah. I, there's, there's it's part of that about, universe. You know what it is? There's something about magic, and 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 really, when we when we think in terms of magic, it's just it's just words powered by love. Yeah. You know, it, it, like the Patronus, you know, what is that? It's just light. It's just love. You know, it's, it's, it's it love. That's what it is. I mean, it is. the Patronus is just love and love dispels the darkness. I mean, yeah. every aspect. I mean, I could literally take that entire book series and, and teach from Break it, it for the rest of my life and, you know, and, and do that. You know, at some point, maybe I'll do that for my kids. But, but I, I just love magic. I, I love the whole notion of magic. I, I'm more, I've always been more familiar in the phenomenal than I am in the normal and uh me too yeah i love that stuff my second question is mm-hmm. what do you love most about life everything i love the heartbreak i love the i love the sadness i love the pain i love the abuse i love the trauma i love the hatred uh, i love the shadow i love everything yeah. that most people don't love and and the reason why i love those things is because the more i have turned and faced and embraced those parts of myself the more i've uncovered the love that i am and so I have loved the things that most of you will spend your entire lives running away from. But I can tell you that in turning and facing them and loving them, you'll be set free. Well, my third and final question is, what's your favorite memory? I, it has to be my grandma. You know, I, yeah. she was just such an incredible human being. And, you know, I mean, even, and I've been, kind of remembering more and more about her actually. And uh, I, I miss her. I, I wish that she was here. I wish she could see my kids and, 
you know, see me now. You know, I'm going to cry a little bit. Sorry, but yeah, yeah. I miss my grandma. I um, she was amazing, and um, you know, everything that's happening now in my life is happening because of her. She would uh, she would wake up in the middle of the night, you know, regardless of what time it was, and just feed people. You know, I mean, it, and it didn't matter. Like this. Everything, like the, the service that I offer, like the, the spirituality, like everything, you know. Yeah. I, I can never thank her for that, you know. I can never thank her for that. Why, wow, you got me. <laughs> you Barbara Walters me. I did. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, there's always that one person in our lives, and I yeah. got that right away from all, all your teachings, from the website, yeah. from the book, that your grandmother was a very important force in your life. Yeah. My grandfather was my my force in my life because no matter what i did he gave me unconditional love he believed in me i was the golden child you know they used to call me that um but yeah that's cool and you know what was amazing what was amazing about her was that she was like that with everybody you know she was just she just made everybody feel that way you know and and again she's just this frail old indian lady you know from a village in india you know had a had a very nominal grasp of of the english language you know i mean but but her heart was just always present you know she was she was very loving and um you know i i am who i am today because of her no doubt you're a spark of of her definitely i mean yeah. some people i think panache they just have this love and, and you can sit near them and you can feel it uh, and you don't know where they get it. It's like this. Uh, it's like this power engine that you can feel it. You can feel the vibration, yeah. um, and you just feel blessed that you had a chance um, to be born into that situation. Yeah, you just gave me such a gift. You know, I I, I haven't. Uh, that was just wonderful to remember her in that way. I uh, You're I, sh- I need to do that more. Actually, what I'll do is I'll put her picture on my phone and uh, just keep it with me. That was very. T- that was wonderful. I. You know, it's nice you to just, consciously acknowledge it. And the other thing too, Brad, like the other reason why that was so powerful for me is because I was the only family member that wasn't there when she died. So when she transitioned, she was in the UK and she narrated her entire death. Right? She's literally in the hospital bed dying. And she's like saying to people, why are you crying? You know, my family members are here. You know, my gurus are here. My teachers are here. I'm going into this light. Why are you crying? You should still be chanting on the Shivaya. You know, there's nothing to be afraid of, right? And and I was the only family member because I was in the U.S. at the time that wasn't there for her her death that that missed that. Wow. And uh, so you you get you gave me a, a great gift today. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, they visit in our dreams, and their presence is always there. I know that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they reincarnate in our own families right in front of us. Sometimes we don't know it. Yeah. Uh, you get the gift of raising them. <laughs> you know, you never know. You never yeah, know. I, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if she divided herself up, up into four and, and as back as every one of my kids right now. <laughs> that is fine. Thank you so much for being on Awakened Nation, Panache. And I really want to thank your wife, Jan. She just was phenomenal in setting this up. So thank her and uh, also the blessing of, of your children. Um, I, I heard you had some great news and I just want to uh, give a shout out that that is the wonderful blessing uh, with your daughter uh, you. during this time. So thank you. Thank you. My thank friend. you, brother. Thanks for, you. thanks for the blessing of this time and my love to everyone that's tuning in from all over the world. I love you. You've got it. Thank you. Tune in everybody next week for another extraordinary guest on Awakened Nation. Bye-bye. 
Thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week.